0: This morning, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. Of all of the people, maybe I should say all of the writers of the Bible, I can't think of anyone that, is, uh, that we are for, more familiar with and, uh, and maybe more fond of than the Apostle Paul. And when I think about all that Paul has written, uh, there are so many things that we could, uh, that we could talk about. But this morning, I, I want to read a verse that I think is the most important thing that Paul ever said, certainly the most important subject, the dearest doctrine, verse 2 of chapter 2, He writes to the church at Corinth, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to begin the message this morning where I left off the other day. I concluded the message the other day by a a quote from the German theologian, Carl Barth and it so happened that in 1950 he was in Chicago at the University of Chicago and uh, a reporter asked him what is the most important most profound truth you ever heard and this was his reply he said Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so I responded to that and ended the message by saying we need to strip away all of the religious garb and get back to the simplicity of Christ, just Jesus. I said that because man's problems are serious. His life is difficult. His needs are great. But the solution... Is really simple. It's just Jesus. It is amazing how that we, uh, we can sometimes muddy the waters. Sometimes we can confuse those that, that we should be trying to reach with the gospel. And we confuse them uh, with all of the religious jargon and our tainted theories and things of that nature. And Paul makes it very clear that he wanted to be clear in his presentation of the gospel. Make no mistake about it, Satan will do anything and everything within his power to divert our attention away from Christ. He wants to obscure the message any way he can and uh, keep our focus off the Lord. There's always something that tries to get in the way always something trying to block our vision of Christ I was thinking about the message earlier this morning and thinking about that old song and I I wish this could be true of all of us redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die but some way or another from that moment that we first hear the gospel and trust Christ as our Savior, all of this other stuff somehow or another gets in the way. And uh, Paul refused to let that happen. I want to thank Brother, Brother Ron for posting something uh, last week that uh, I can't remember the details, but it was a good article about how to pray for the pastor. And I appreciate that because most people have no idea what a battle preachers go through in trying to stay on target. Not only because of what's going on within him, but of all the things going on around him. All of this stuff that... And listen, when I say stuff, I'm talking about, for the most part, things that are of great importance, things that that trouble you, and as a result of that, they cloud your mind. And, and like old Charles Spurgeon said so many years ago, the most difficult part of preaching is trying to figure out what you ought to preach. The older I get, the more I realize I think that's true. You think about all of the different issues that need to be addressed, at least in your mind. We think about the condition of our nation. I mean, are there not issues that need to be addressed by someone? Isn't there problems that our nation is facing that someone needs to speak out about? It might be that the preacher has on his heart the disintegration of families and especially when you're, you know, right in the middle of it and and you know families and people that you love and you care about and you see the devil ripping their home apart and it tears you apart. I said the other day to someone, I said, uh, there is a sense in which empathy is a curse. And I can say that because I live with the most empathetic person that I know, and that's my wife. When you care enough that you put yourself in the place of somebody else, I'm telling you, it hurts. Love hurts, by the way. It really does. And it's real easy when you see this happening to families to get distracted it might be the immorality that is all around us and, uh, you know, every pastor, or not, not every pastor, some don't want to mention sin, but uh, any good pastor wants to do his best to steer people away from, from sin. And there's this issue of immorality. There, there are people that are harboring bitterness. There are people that refuse to uh, to listen. There are people that show no respect for God's property. People that see no harm in things that are clearly ha- harmful, wrong. The shack comes to mind. Don't you brag about that to me around me. I don't see anything wrong with it. That's the problem. You don't see anything wrong with it. And there's a part of me that says, I need to preach a whole sermon on that. The devil would love that. Just don't preach about Jesus. Just preach about the false theology pictured in something like that. If it's not that, it could be some recent gossip. Gossip. It's really hard to keep your mouth shut whenever others aren't. And, and you know so-and-so's gossiping about so-and-so to somebody else about something. Boy, you think, you know, like a woman several years ago, one of our members, I'd preached a message on gossip and after the service, she said, Brother well, Stone, you can preach on gossip all you want, but you're never going to stop us women from gossiping. I felt like slapping her, but I didn't. I... Uh, but but I'm I'm telling you that it it does something to you to where you see the preacher looks at these things and he thinks I've got to address this issue. It might be post on Facebook. Wow, boy, I could have a sermon every week on post on Facebook. Yeah, might be when people get upset because we denounce things that God hates. And we denounce those issues and they turn around and accuse us of hating them. We don't hate you. We're trying to help you. It might be people who downplay the importance of certain doctrines, especially related to the church or maybe our stance on the King James Version of the Bible. Someone recently implied that we believe people from other denominations are going to hell because because they're not Baptists like we are, because they don't use the King James Version like we do. They've never heard that coming from this pulpit or any Sunday school teacher. We don't believe in any such nonsense. Not only that, but sometimes good people are going through hard problems. And I want to preach about it. I want to help them. I want to encourage them. Sometimes there are those situations where people show no evidence of being saved whatsoever. And I think, you know, well, boy, I've got to deal with this issue. All right, let's get back on track. Hopefully I've made my point. I'm trying to get you to see how difficult it is for preachers to stay focused on the right thing. Notice what Paul said, I determined. So so this isn't something that just happened without any effort. He said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, now you look at that and there'll be some no doubt that will question that because... Clearly, Paul spoke about other things. He spoke about history, Old Testament history. He spoke about things, you know, that occurred years before. He spoke about theology. He spoke about the matter of morality. He spoke about the church. He spoke about the family. He even spoke about the government. So how is it that Paul could say, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified? That is, His person Jesus Christ, and his work, him crucified. He could make that statement. Now, listen very carefully. He could make that statement because regardless of what else he was speaking about, he related it to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And here's the point. The point is that we do not understand any of those other issues that I've just mentioned if we don't see them in relation to the cross of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, if you don't see that, you've got a lot to learn. And by the way, we've all got a lot to learn and we ought to spend our lives as students in the school of Christ where he is both the teacher and the subject learning all we can about him. It was said of the Greek astronomer Eudakis, I believe is the way you pronounce his name, quote, he was so affected with the glory of the sun, at S-U-N, He thought he was born only to behold it. Let me tell you, as Christians, we have a much more grand and glorious calling than that. Our calling is to consider him the son of righteousness, to be always looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, but so many times, somewhere along the line, we lose our focus on what is really important. It doesn't just happen to church members. It happens to preachers. And and Paul was one who was determined to avoid that, that mistake. Now I want you to focus on how all of this is fundamental to the faith. And it would be really easy just to sum it all up and to say it begins with the knowledge of Christ. And, you know, we could just leave it right there and just a summation. Or we could go into great detail, and I could say this is part one in a 30-part series of lectures concerning the person and work of Christ. And boy, we could go on month after month after month. I want to take the next few minutes just simply showing you how this is fundamental to our faith. And I want to sum it up in four areas. I've only got one point in the message And the point is the text. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the only point I want to make this morning. But I want you to see and to understand how that relates to our life, the different areas of our life. And as I do, these are things that Paul spoke of repeatedly in his writings. Notice in verse number five, here's the first area, and that's the area of confidence. He says in verse number five, well, let me just go back so you'll get the context Verse three, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. boy, it doesn't sound much like the doesn't sound like the much like the modern preachers nowadays that strut their stuff and put on a big show and My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I hope you get what he's saying. Notice, and here's why, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, his purpose was to instill confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I keep saying that understanding who you are and what you have in Christ is absolutely essential to you living the life of Christ. And since our relationship, everything that we do for the Lord, everything that we relate to the Lord since it all depends upon our trust in the Lord we have to begin with this that comes down to the fact that if I'm going to build my faith my confidence in the Lord I have to have a greater knowledge of Christ because what faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and even Peter addresses this issue later on in one of his letters as he talks about the fact that God's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge, the knowledge of Him. And that's why we can't afford to lose our focus on Him because we desperately need the confidence in these troublesome times regardless of how good you are regardless of how strong you think you are sooner or later there'll be something that'll knock you off your feet there'll be something that'll you know leave you uh dumbfounded not knowing what to do where to turn or where to go to and you're going to need that faith that enables you to get through the toughest times and I- i'm simply saying that can only come from a greater knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've often said the best definition I know of backsliding is when we cease to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. You see, whenever we stop growing, all of a sudden our faith begins to diminish and our problems begin to overwhelm us. There's never a good time for you to stop growing and that means you must ever be looking to Jesus the author and finisher of your faith not only does it affect us by way of our confidence but also by way of commands now I've used that word for a good reason I'm talking about those specific duties toward God when I talk about commands Talking about our responsibilities. When Paul was writing to this church, he wrote for the purpose of rebuking sin, providing instruction, establishing order. And this church was greatly troubled. Although they possessed all of the spiritual gifts, they were ineffective. They couldn't use them because they were out of source with one another. They had all kinds of problems. And Paul is writing to educate them, not to entertain them. So in the process of trying to to help them through these difficulties, what does he do? He appeals to them on the basis of their relationship with the Lord. And you see that especially whenever you turn over to chapter 6 and verse 19. He says, what know ye not that you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. Now, what's he doing? He's reminding them, you've been redeemed. How did that happen? Well, it happened through the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ because of his blood shed on the cross. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. And, And each time as he addresses these issues in the church, and there were many He does so on the basis of the fact that that these people had been irresponsible concerning the commands that God had given as to how they ought to be living. It's really senseless for us to talk about being like Christ unless we know what Christ is like. If you've never done so, when you get home, you go to the book of Philippians in chapter 2 and read those first 13 verses there. One of the verses says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, and described Christ, though that he was the Lord of all. He's the master, King of kings, and Lord of lords. What happened? He became a servant. And you see in those verses a picture, not only a picture of what Christ is like, but a picture of what we ought to be. That's how we learn what we ought to be like is by looking at Him. And so whenever we are confronted with those commands that God gives to us, for example, the command to forgive one another, the command that we are to love one another, and on and on, and we look at all of those responsibilities that we have, we better look at them in the light of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you take Him out of the picture, it turns into a free-for-all each contending for their rights. Let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, you don't have any rights. That's why Paul spoke about himself as being a servant, a servant. And that word servant that he uses literally is a bond slave. That is, I submitted myself, surrendered myself, and put myself in subjection to the one who died for me. When we get our focus off of who we belong to, we forget about the price that he paid for us. All of a sudden, we resort to loose living. If it feels good, do it, you know, just do whatever's popular, just go go with the flow, follow the crowd. You can't do that when you are ever looking to the crucified one. It affects our confidence, it affects our commands that we've been given, but it affects us in another way, and that's in our comfort. It's real easy for us to to complain about something until we stop and think about what our Savior endured. You know, some people got the idea that that after you've been saved, all of a sudden that, you know, all of your problems ought to be solved, that some way or another you ought to be exempt from suffering, but that's just not true. Philippians 1.29 says, It is given unto us to suffer, to suffer like He did. It's as though God is saying, This is a gift I'm giving you, the gift of suffering. We'll talk about that in some other message, but you need to think about that. And it's something that we all go through. The the best of people sometimes have the worst of problems, but it's always for a reason. And how we respond to those problems depends upon our attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. It might be that you were you know you was looking on Facebook or something and and all of a sudden you saw one of those pictures. I saw one the other day of this poor little boy I mean he was just skin and bones and and nearly starved to death and and I don't know what comes to your mind, but my first thought is. How dare I complain because I didn't get a ribeye steak this week? How dare I complain because, because I, I, I you know, I, I didn't get something I wanted? How can I complain? But I want to tell you something. Better than that is to look to the cross and at Calvary. And to think about the suffering, the undeserved suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know about something that will put you in your place? That should have been you on the cross. That should have been me. Like the song says, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. Many years ago, I discovered 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and i I can honestly say, my life has never been the same since I discovered that wonderful chapter, and especially when you get down to those last few verses, and here Paul is talking about the difficulties that he has gone through, all of the the suffering and you look, you would think that that a man who has been beaten like like he had, a man that had been so sorely mistreated that if anybody had a right to throw in the towel and resign and just give up, it would have been Paul. But he didn't. He was determined. He said, I don't count my life dear to myself. That's what he said to the elders at Ephesus. He was determined to go all of the way. But in those verses in Second Corinthians chapter 4, you see that his reasoning behind all of this. And he said, we don't look at things that are, we look at things that are not. We don't look at things that are here and now, we're looking at things that are eternal. You see, we get all bent out of shape about our suffering, our disappointments and things of that nature because we're not looking at the big picture. You know, we reduce everything right down to, to me it's all about me. I deserve more. I deserve bigger. I deserve better. It's all about me. And I didn't get what I wanted. I'm not happy. But it's not all about you. And by the way, for everything you go through, God has a purpose. God has a plan. And you won't won't begin to understand it until it's all fulfilled in that day when you receive a glorified body like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you think of the most terrible, horrible injustice that's ever been committed on this earth? It was Calvary. When they crucified Christ. And yet out of the depths of that terrible, horrible injustice, God brought about the most glorious blessing possible, the salvation of lost sinners. I'm telling you, keeping your focus on Jesus as Paul did is the very thing that you need for comfort during difficult times. But there's another area, and and I've got to say, I don't think this one gets near as much attention as it should I'm talking about the area of cheerfulness. You know, the Bible says, and we just got through talking about commands, Philippians chapter 2, or chapter 3, verse 3 says, Rejoice in Christ. How you doing with that? Chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. How you doing with that? I mean, be honest about it. You, know, you, you know, preacher can get up and preach about you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you know. Or we can get up and sing, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. And we can talk about the glories of heaven and the sacrifice of Christ. And and people just sit and stare at you like a calf looking at a new gate. You can't get a holy grunt out of any of them. That's why Vans Habner said, I've seen more cheerful faces on iodine bottles than I have on Christians. He got it right. It's it's so amazing how you know, in spite of all of our great blessings, how how sad we can be. Isn't that a command, rejoice in the Lord always? And again, he said, again I say rejoice in the Lord. Whenever Peter was talking about God's promises, he called them exceeding, great, and precious. And he revealed to us that these promises, and through the knowledge of him, that we have everything we need to keep from falling in our Christian life. Everything we need that we might be like Christ. But to be like Christ, you have to know Christ. You have to know Christ, and you have to know what Christ is like. You have to know His promises. So let's ask ourselves the question, does the Lord want you to be happy or not? Does does He want you to have joy, be a joy-filled Christian or not? Well, go read John chapter 15, John chapter 17. He said, my joy, Do do you ever think about His joy? You know, the Bible tells us it was with joy that he endured the shame of the cross. He wasn't this somber sire puss that so many make him out to be. He was a man of great joy. And he said, my joy, I leave with you. And if you don't have it, it's not because he didn't provide it. It's because you've lost your focus on what is really important. And that'll get you in trouble because Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's the joy of the Lord that enables us, the joy of the Lord that empowers us. So we're not talking about something that's just nice. You know, it'd be nice to be a joyful Christian. We're talking about something that is an absolute necessity because we're either a joyful Christian or or we're a weak Christian. You know, we let me sum it all up. We need Paul's attitude. And if you want to know where his joy was, it's in Galatians 6, verse 14, where he said, God forbid that I should glory. That is boast and brag, as it were. God forbid that I should glory save in the, what? The cross. Amen? It's no wonder that he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said that because that's the only thing that we have to glory in. And it was the purpose of his life to glorify God by knowing Christ and making Christ known. Now, give me about 30 seconds and I'm through, but listen carefully. I want you to consider, based on what we've said here this morning, consider the changes that are caused by Christ. We talked about the matter of confidence. That's what we believe. He changes what we believe. When we look to Him, our beliefs are formulated. And then notice we talked about commands. That's what we do. We talked about comfort. That's how we feel. We talked about cheerfulness. That's what we reflect. You see, this matter of having our focus on Christ affects what we believe, what we do, how we feel, and what we reflect to others. That just about covers everything. So, that being true, I've got one question. Where are you without Him? Where are you without Him? How does that affect you by way of your confidence and your responsibilities, the commands that God has given, your ability to find comfort in difficult times, your cheerfulness? Where are you without him? There's only one thing worthy of our undivided attention all of the time, regardless of the subject matter that we're discussing. It all in some way has to relate back to what Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you for the person of Christ for His spotless character, for His miracles that He worked, for the great demonstration of His love, for the sacrifice He made, and all of those things that speak about His excellence that causes us to conclude that He's altogether lovely. We're so thankful for that. But we're thankful not only for His person, but for His work that He did on the cross when He suffered and bled and died in our stead and I pray this morning that if there's some man woman a boy or girl here that's never trusted in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that they might come to understand how that all of these areas of their life are affected by their relationship with Jesus Christ may they trust him this morning and for those of us that have been saved in some for many years now, but we've allowed something to divert our attention. We've been troubled by something or enthralled by something else that excites us or whatever it is, but, but something happened along life's road that, that got our attention off of Jesus. Help us this morning. To get our focus back where it needs to be. But we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Now, as we